0: Stand out from the crowd by gaining the right experience. The next step in your cybersecurity journey starts with Cybrary. Sign up for the Insider Pro or Teams product to learn
1: and develop skills and reach your goals.
2: It is episode 50 of
1: the Cyberry podcast, and we're talking about ransomware. What is it? Where does it come from? And how do you prevent an attack? Greg Edwards, CEO and founder of Crypto Stopper, goes in-depth into his experiences in the MSP space and how ransomware attacks served as the catalyst to starting his own company. Plus, hear Mike and Jonathan's views on advanced persistent threats and importance of patch management in the cloud and on prem.
0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Cybrary Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gruen, VP of Engineering at Cybrary. I'm joined by Jonathan Myers, our head of infrastructure, and a special guest, Greg Edwards from Crypto Stoppers. Um, Greg, do you want to maybe give a brief intro about yourself and, and sure. what you do?
1: Sure. So, Greg Edwards, and I'm the CEO and founder of Crypto Stopper. And Crypto Stopper is a tool that we developed, um, actually developed within my MSP business, to specifically stop ransomware. uses bait files to detect and stop ransomware that gets past uh, all of the other antivirus and other tools that we use to uh, secure the network that have not been working for the last five years against ransomware.
0: And Jonathan, um, I mean, I know people are probably familiar with you by now, but why don't you give a little intro as well? Yep. so I'm Jonathan Myers. I'm um, the principal infrastructure engineer here at Cybery. Um,
2: I'm responsible for all the uh, infrastructure our code runs on and securing and deploying and maintaining all of those systems.
0: So welcome, Greg. Yeah, uh, it's funny. Uh, ransomware seems to never leave the news. Um, so I imagine it, you guys are always busy. <laughs> it is nonstop.
1: Um, and it's a constant game of of cat and mouse. I mean, like many other... Cybersecurity endeavors, uh, we're always, you know, one one step ahead and then one step behind. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a fun run.
0: So uh, maybe a good place to start is maybe uh, would be to talk a little bit about what uh, ransomware is and um, just you know sort of level set everybody uh, in our audience. Yeah. So fundamentally, I
1: mean, ransomware all basically all it does is encrypts the files and then holds them for ransom. So you think of it um, as simplistically as using like a WinZip tool uh, that we used to use to zip files and email them to people. Um, But basically that's all it does. It just encrypts the files and then to get that encryption key to unlock them, people have to pay a ransom. And that's, I mean, that's, that's a very simple version of
0: it. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things that I learned about, ransomware a long time ago is usually there's a big lag between when you get the malware that starts doing the encryption and when you actually get hit for payment because it takes them some time to uh, encrypt all your backups and make it so that, you know, whatever you did for the last nine months, it's not just a matter of, oh, screw these guys. We're not going to pay them. Let's just go to yesterday's backup. It's usually far more invasive than that. Absolutely.
1: I mean, it started out, so I started seeing the first ransomware attacks back in 2012, which happens to coincide when Bitcoin came on the scene. Um, But those very first versions of ransomware were just very shotgun, where they were were just using scripts to hit as many as they could. And the ransoms were in the hundreds of dollars. And now we're seeing these much more targeted attacks where they're wiping out the backups, exfiltrating the data, uh, and then encrypting the data. And ransoms in the millions of dollars.
0: What do you think caused the um, the uptick? The
1: escalation of the, I mean, I think that a big portion of it was that the attackers primarily are not U.S. based. Um, once they learned, really learned their craft uh, and then learned that they were able to target and knew who the target was, then that's when the, the, ransom started escalating. Add to that, that cyber insurance now generally pays for it. Um, that That's also escalated the costs. I wonder if it was kind of like
2: just the natural progression, right? Because we had like the, what was like the prince in Africa that needed like $10,000 scams that were kind of like very popular with, I'm assuming the same type of crowd that's probably very involved in like crypto lockers now because I'm I'm pretty sure it's to the point where I can go on a site and download a crypto locker and just enter an IP address and it goes and does everything for me and I don't have to know how it works or
1: things like that. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's evolved. Um, and when you think about malware that we used to deal with, uh, it was really, there wasn't a, a financial motivation behind it. And so it's all it's been cryptocurrency that's driven the... The real rise of ransomware. I mean, it it gave a natural and easy way for these cyber attackers to get paid.
2: Right. And lots of money because now cyber insurance is almost a necessary thing, I guess. Um, Absolutely. Because who was it? I think it was Garmin that got attacked and said they weren't going to pay the ransom for a while. And then I think they publicly said they weren't going to pay it. And then I think it eventually came out that they
1: did pay it. 10 million.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and without Bitcoin, I guess you could trace exactly where that money went. Exactly, it, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, no longer exactly. like a put it in a bag and let's go drop it at this park bench, <laughs> because right. that would mean you were in the U.S. and it's a little bit easier to catch you. Now it's yeah. like it just disappears. I mean, I guess yeah. you could track it on Bitcoin, but
1: well, but you can't. You could you right. can track the wallet, but you can't track the actual identity. Um, well, and to put it under perspective cybercrime is now more profitable than drug trafficking. So that's, I mean, we're talking billions of dollars and very organized cyber criminal
0: organizations that are, are perpetrating these crimes. And also much lower barrier of entry. I mean, with drugs, you still have supply demand. You have a product that you're producing. There's still, there's a lot more uh, logistics to it than an attack, uh, which is usually just education and getting access to the tools and the very low barrier of entry.
2: Yeah. And I would say there's, there's this super, you know, you don't have any resources that kind of need to always be online. So you don't have to have a server farm. You don't have to have all of these types of things that traditionally you would have had to have, as long as you have something that answers back when these crypto lockers or whatever kind of phone home, right? Like, and it doesn't always have to be on. Like it can be on for an hour, right? And as long as these things are phoning home, like you're getting them, you're getting commands sent to them. They're kind of like just working. Um, And then I would also say like the distributed nature now, like so many IoT devices and these other things are owned in other people's networks that like you can just send out commands to have them kind of do your bidding. And so it's almost like free compute to kind of run a lot of these like services.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think in in one of the emotet ransomware that ended up in a Ryuk ransomware attack that I investigated, um, it it actually called out to 28 different sites for a command and control center. So those command and control centers can be taken offline, but if you've got twenty-eight of them, the likelihood of all 28 of them being taken out is is pretty low. But haven't
2: we also seen uh, basically, ISPs kind of starting to get involved in this type of thing, where it's you would hope they'd be able to notice those twenty eight things kind of pretty obviously, because I'm assuming they're not as sophisticated as they could be yet.
1: Absolutely, but well, I mean, this particular one actually would utilize. So, Google Docs was one of the locations that it was pulling scripts from. So, it's not it's not like it's one set of things, mm. right? and that's pretty that's pretty genius though to hide it in Google Docs cuz everybody's <laughs> pretty much got
2: that.
0: But right, you can't block you can't block that.
2: Yeah. Right, yeah. right. I mean you could but you know people get <laughs> I'm sure there's some companies that don't allow access to Google Docs but they would probably just find a way to run it on Office
0: 365. Well right but that's at the company yeah. level right we're talking right. ISPs there's no ISP in their right mind that's going to be like oh yeah we're, none of our <laughs> none of our clients are going to be able to use Google Docs. Right. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I mean maybe someday yeah, oh, we'll get why, to Maybe that's what happened the other day. Maybe Google actually wasn't down. Maybe it was mm. just all the ISPs. <laughs> <right down> the-
2: <laughs> all banded together. It could have been somebody figuring out the all these government agencies were starting to topple and they were like, oh, this is how it's happening. Let's start just shutting down Google. You know, hey, conspiracy theory could yeah, be true yeah. though. And it was timing. Um, it was
1: all in the right timing.
2: Yeah, that's right before it got announced. So maybe somebody was trying to have, you know, them throw them off their track and so you take down google and then but i don't think the u.s government uses google apps anyway so yeah. or google
0: workspaces as it's now called <laughs> but
2: i wonder sorry, if we'll ever get to the point
0: yeah. what's up nothing i said sorry i just railed i derailed us a little bit i was oh no worries
2: and, yeah yeah i wonder if we'll ever get to the point where we can kind of intercept that traffic because i think we're moving in the opposite direction right like companies still do like the, the decryption, the man in the middle, well, the official legal man in the middle attack where they're kind of reading all the traffic. If you can like search for that payload fast enough to kind of kill the connection. But I think with the trend of everything kind of going more and more privacy wise and like encryption and all this other type of stuff, especially with now a lot of corporate employees, not behind the giant corporate firewall that's reading all this stuff.
1: Um, if we're going to see that ability ever kind of come to fruition, I wonder. I, I mean, I think at some point, I think we're several years out from that. But that's really that uh, the CASP model, where all of your employees go
0: through a gateway, and it's all sent. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. I think the privacy and the the CASP model is. I think there's the U.S. approach to to things, and then there's going to be what happens in in other parts of the world where. There's just different standards and different things that are allowed to be done. It'll be um, interesting to see how that affects cybercrime and who gets targeted and who doesn't um, based on what companies are capable of doing to defend themselves. Absolutely. I think in either case, I mean, we're, we're years and years
1: away from that.
2: Well, yeah, and you also got to think as, I mean, the encryption standards are going to get bigger and better. It's like the compute power that's going to be required to kind of start decrypting a lot of this traffic and all of that's not going to be a box sitting in a closet. And it seems, I mean, major companies are moving to the cloud, but they're not moving to the cloud. They're just publicly moving to the cloud, Um, but they still run everything through a firewall in a closet in a data center somewhere.
1: Yeah, I actually um, just read a report that 98% of U.S. businesses still have an on-prem Windows server. <laughs> oh, I so, I, I mean, the cloud, cloud migration. Unpatched. Is, you, unpa- <laughs> and unpatched. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. I mean, I remember uh, at a, a company I used to work for, uh, we were using Office 365 and things like that but we still routed all the email back on prem through a email gateway to then route back to the cloud. And it was like, you know, that wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. And so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we especially have, a lot we, of the,
1: I think we all know we have, we have a ways to go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious how kind of the whole COVID situation and work from home has kind of started to affect the the ransomware market because everybody's plugging their computer into their home network. And I'm guessing most people don't have any sort of security on their home network at all outside of whatever the ISP gave them.
1: Yeah. So the reports that I have heard, I haven't seen anything official yet, but um, have, have heard there's been a sevenfold increase in ransomware in 2020. And anecdotally, I would say that that's that is true. I mean, it's, it's hard to know yet, but significant increase in 2020 and most, I mean, it's pretty obvious that the work-from-home users are the, the root of that. And, and I've seen other reports that say somewhere in the neighborhood of 60% of the devices that people, when they, when they first went home, uh, they were using personal devices without any kind of
0: corporate security on them. So, yeah, big in yeah. big increase. But I think that seven that seven uh, fold increase, which I've also seen similar uh, numbers reported. I think there's it's it's uh, two different factors to go into play. One is, as you said, users um, or or staff employees, whatever um, people working from home, maybe in less secure environments than the corporate environment. But also, you have on the flip side the People who maybe would not have committed crime in the past, uh, having either more access, more time, more motivation because, hey, they were laid off or the economy, the local economy is just so bad that whatever they have to do to put food on the table. um, And so I imagine that there's also been an increase on the on the um, attacking side as well, just as. It's you know the barrier to entry has gotten lower and probably the demand has increased for people who want to be able to do that type of
1: uh, activity. Absolutely, and Jonathan mentioned it earlier that there's there's now ransomware as a service, so you don't have to be a developer or have any real skills. You can just go pay for the service and pay a pay a fee per uh, per per successful attack that you perpetrate. Yep,
0: I mean script kiddies have always been a thing, so. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: They're just moving <laughs> on
2: from shoes. Now they're, they're selling crypto lockers. Right. You know? <laughs> um. Cool. Interesting. I'm, I want to dig in more kind of how you kind of bridge the gap. Like it's weird to kind of guess kind of see somebody go from like an MSP type situation over into actually having a product. And I'm yeah. curious like what that tra- transition was like.
1: Yeah. Well, so I've, I've owned an MSP um, since 1998. That kind of shows my age and the gray in my beard shows my age also. Um, but I've owned an, an MSP since 1998. And then I also owned an offsite backup and disaster recovery company. Uh, and we started seeing these ransomware attacks hitting our MSP clients and the, 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 Offsite site backup clients around 2012 um, and started doing more full-on recoveries because of ransomware than natural disasters. And so it was pretty obvious that the tools that existed weren't working. And I sold, ended up selling the off-site backup company um, and started Crypto Stopper at that point, uh, actually with the intent to be a full-service managed um, security services provider and grew that. But one of the tools that we built, because there wasn't anything out there, was CryptoStopper. And so, we built that to use within our own practice. And it has, has blossomed naturally with the, with the ransomware blossoming. Um, and in, in 2019, turned that into a full standalone product. And um, have continued developing it out. So that's that's the origination of it. Um, so it wasn't like I had an MSP; didn't ever have any other SaaS experience. Um, so I had had a previous SaaS business with the offsite backup and um, had some experience there.
2: Nice. Um, so, kind of, I'm assuming your business just keeps growing as we can all allude to, like, how do you kind of, I'm guessing, I guess my question is almost how many like researchers like, cause it's, it's always changing. So it's like, what's your kind of like mix of like research versus actual like development and like coding and things like that. Like, what does that kind of like cycle
1: look like? Yeah. Well, surprisingly the, the R and D side of it isn't as an, as intensive as you would think, because ransomware fundamentally doesn't really change. Um, Their tactics have changed, but ultimately it has to encrypt data. And so what we do is watch for that encryption activity using combination of um, decoy bait files and native files. And then our algorithm watches for that non-user activity that's encrypting files and then triggers an action to uh, to stop that attack, and so so the that R and D side of it um, has become less intense, honestly, over time. I mean, getting our algorithm, the first first versions that we were using, took nine seconds to uh, to react and trigger, and now we're down to milliseconds. Um, so you know that that time was was pretty intensive, but it's gotten less and less over the years.
0: So who's like your, um, generally like your customer, what do they sort of look like? Who are you sort of? Yeah. So we,
1: we made the transition in 2020 to go all into the MSP channel. And so now we sell exclusively through MSPs. And so that's, that's our only client. Um, so typical, you know, typical customer is a, five employee MSP that manages um, 50 or so clients and um, and then they deploy CryptoStopper out to their clients. Definitely simplifies things to
0: have that kind of focus.
1: Yeah, it well, and we, you know, so in 2019, we made the switch to focus just on CryptoStopper and attempted to go direct, which was a mistake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then in, in 2020, made that shift over to MSPs specifically, and yeah, it's it's made a big difference. But but really, any any size company can use our product. We're I would say we're not uh, we're not great on the large enterprise side, just from a, a management standpoint yet. But we're working toward that. So up to about three thousand endpoints, we're we're good.
2: Mm. Cool.
1: Yeah. So you guys are all basically on device. Kind of endpoint type stuff. Nothing. Correct. Yeah, we're actually yeah. Um, building out a cloud module for um, Office three sixty five and Google Docs. But right now, it's it's on prem. And again, with with companies still having ninety eight percent of them having on prem servers, that's it, that's still where the majority lives. Yeah.
2: Don't worry, when they migrate to the cloud, they're just going to take an ISO snapshot of that on-prem server and then just clone it into the cloud. So you'll be good. Right. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I can imagine back then trying to sell, like when you tried to go to consumer, like trying to be a sales guy and explain like what your product does seems to be like a very complicated thing to sell to people that probably don't understand a lot about
1: like crypto and other nuanced parts of like how those attacks work. Absolutely. And, and you would, you would think owning my own MSP that I would have uh, more quickly made that transition, but, <laughs> 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 um, but yeah. And, and I I haven't talked to an MSP in the last, at least in the last 18 months that hasn't had one of their clients have ransomware. Mm. Um, and unfortunately I've talked to a lot that have had, multiple clients or all of their clients hit with ransomware because their rMM tool was compromised um, I've this year I've talked to three different MSPs that have had their rMM tool compromised and then through that they ransomed all of their clients and that would
0: just be a nightmare day for any business owner if I was an MSP and right we get um were the actual cause of the problem. Yeah, I could see that being a, not just a bad day. That's sort of a... Right. And I remember at our last company, Jonathan and I worked at, you know, my, you know, uh, was user behavior analytics and we were deploying stuff into their systems that were monitoring all of their communications, the, you know, our, com- our client ca- client's communications. And to me, the number one driver was we can't be the... We can't show up on the front page of the Washington Post or New York Times as to why some companies' data got breached or accessed or whatever. And um, right. There's that, just that level of trust that you have. Absolutely. With that, right. And you can't, there's no coming back from that from, for most companies. I think if you're large enough, you have a marketing budget that can get you past it. Um, or you have relationships or what personal relationships or whatever, but for the smaller ones, I got to imagine. Yeah. It would just be, it'd
1: be. It, I do think those of us in the know that it's, it's A nation state if it's a nation state actor and it wasn't just something that was poorly secured um, but was a very targeted attack by a nation state i honestly think that likely helps them long term Mm -hmm. Um, but not not i mean
2: i don't know how you like explain that though like you might know that it was like a nation state but like i don't know maybe if you hear russia you're like oh okay like we couldn't have done anything but like you yeah. Know. yeah. Some of these, it's like, yes, but we're the United States of America. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: I mean, I think it's, I, I mean, I think that it all depends on who you're selling into, right? I mean, if you have, um, depending on how sophisticated the company you're working for, um, I think, you know, we understand security very well, but... You know we would be the type of company that would be more than likely to use an MSP. We're not a hu- we don't have a huge staff, but we definitely understand cybersecurity. And I think we would probably work with an MSP. We'd understand what happened and we would look at it in terms of, well, was this something that really was a little bit more negligence on your side, or was it, yeah, you know, you're going through the intersection, the light was green and you got T-boned. Like that happens. Like there's not, you know, no one could have seen that coming. Um, versus you ran the red light and you were driving blindfolded. <laughs> right. Right. And I don't think we know in the current, in the current,
1: uh, breach that's going on right now. I, I don't know that we know the answers to any of that yet. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty certain it's going to come out. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I also think it's, it's going to be difficult to kind of get the information.
2: Right. And if people aren't forthcoming about it because they're embarrassed And things like that. And then also, if there's a pending, you know, DOJ investigation, how long is that investigation going to go along? And it's, I think it's weird because hopefully they're involving certain software vendors in this. And so that we can patch it before their investigation, like, wraps up, you know, in two years. Um, Because I think that might be an interesting problem.
1: Yeah. And I actually saw that there was going to be a patch out today. Um, So hopefully that's, that is coming today and and companies can patch and and I think with this particular breach that the malicious actors assuming it was Russia they were very they're going to be very targeted in what information and who they hit so the 400 of the fortune 500 that also also could be affected likely weren't hit yet right. and so hopefully they do have a chance to patch but how do you know? And I, I don't think we have enough details yet to, to know any of that. Yeah,
2: I yeah think and I think- that's one of the the things that I'm kind of like bouncing around in my mind with all these like malware and then like the work from home transition for like the beginning of COVID. How many things were kind of compromised at that moment for those like, Two, three, four weeks where people are struggling to get everything online and the remote systems going to get people computers to log in. How many things were kind of owned in that moment that we're not going to see exposed until everybody's kind of relaxed back at work and, you know, not even thinking about it anymore?
1: Well, exactly. I mean, the hackers haven't had time to go through and attack all of the open systems that are out there now. So when you think about it from that perspective and how many APTs are likely in place and actively being sold right now, uh, it's mind-boggling. Maybe for those who don't know, maybe you could define what an APT is? Uh, An advanced persistent threat. So it's where an attacker has a, a recurring connection that is persistent
0: on a, on a system. Right. Um, and I think, you know, it's, um, we're sort of talking a little bit about, uh, reasons why you might not come out and say, maybe it's embarrassment whatever. And earlier this morning I was recording a different podcast. We're sort of talking about, uh, the behavioral side and the human side of malware and, and breaches and, and cybersecurity attacks and such. And I think there is, um, This notion of somehow the victim is to blame and victim blaming and so on and so forth, and not this recognition of, hey, it could happen to anybody. It's the stuff happens. And the more upfront we are about it, the more we talk about it in those terms, I think the better we get at understanding what's really going on, the scope of the problems. We sort of take away the spotlight from the hackers who are just criminals, right? And really put the the spotlight on the companies like you know CryptoStop and others that are actually trying to fight this and are on the the right side of of things. And um, you know, I'm curious what your sort of thoughts are on that. Because
1: absolutely, well, and when you so you know to back up and unpack that a little bit, yeah, the, the users. I think training your know, user training is absolutely critical, but I myself have nearly clicked on that. Oh, your shipment is delayed, right. and it you know it, especially right now during Christmas, where so many packages are being ordered, and oh, it's going to be delayed. I better see what is happening. You know, so so the users absolutely need to be trained and have to be trained. Um, but you can never get to that hundred percent trained level because it's it only takes one to slip through.
0: Right. And I think it's I think it's I think you can get to one hundred percent trained. I think it's what you're training for. So the idea that you can be one hundred percent vigilant one hundred percent of the time is just insane. Nobody can do it. It's a standard that right, you can't maintain, I can't maintain, and we supposedly know better, but trained in terms of, oh, crap, I clicked the link. Now what do I do? I better report this to my security person. I better do whatever I need to do. That's the training. And that's where I think people need to focus more. I think when it comes to cybersecurity awareness, it's more about what do you do when you you think you might have caused this problem rather than sweeping it under the rug like, or like, oh, maybe everything will be fine. I'll just keep going <laughs> along my day. Like, oh, I closed the window fast enough. Maybe maybe that was good right. enough, right? Like I clicked nope. it, but... <laughs> Nothing happened, so it's so, probably fine. It's fine, right. I'm sure everything's good. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So then the,
1: the second part of that, uh, do we as software vendors and software vendors in general and companies that are attacked need to be more transparent? Absolutely. I mean, that... Again, it's the, not just then the the user sweeping it under the rug, but a company or a software vendor sweeping an attack under the rug and not sharing that information. And that's, I think that's critical as we go forward in, in sharing all of that information.
2: But I would also, I think it might also be difficult, right? Like cybersecurity teams are typically understaffed, right? Like it's like, how much time do I spend on knowing exactly what happened? Versus, you know, patching it and making sure everything else is kind of safe or like I'm that's I think it's a very interesting like balance you're going to have to strike unless you just have unlimited resources to kind of go down that rabbit hole. Right. Um, Especially like publishing and like sharing that information in a well written, you know, thought out way as opposed to just blurting it out and kind of hoping, you know, people understand what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I mean, like it's a business at the business level, right? You could could potentially put your own business out of business, put your own company out of business by sort of being a little too like transparent at first without enough detail to be like, but we have it under control and this is how we know we have it under control and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's definitely, I think, a balance for sure. Absolutely.
2: Um, I'm curious, has there been, I'm sure you've dealt with Clients that try to not pay ransoms. I don't know if you're going to do after the fact ransomware stuff or it's all just preventative.
1: It's all preventative. I mean, but I do, and and we do get involved lots of times because people will contact us after the fact, and you know, there's not not not, typically not much we can do after the fact. Um, But I I have worked with lots of different companies after they've been hit, um, and in about fifty percent of our client base are companies that had been hit and then decided they should do something about it so um, so yeah I mean the the ransoms and the negotiations with the attackers um, are always interesting um, I mean it's always cryptocurrency um, t- typically can be negotiated down in the in the dollar amount um, once once they find out, whether they're cyber liability insurance or not then they'll be much more apt to stick at a hard number hmm. um and not negotiate down yeah they're not they're not idiots right you know? <laughs> right, right well and they've become so much more sophisticated i mean yeah. the first i think the very first ransomware that I dealt with way back in 2012. Um, I want to say it was $480 was the ransom that was demanded. Um, You know, which today seems like nothing. Like, oh yeah, you would just pay that. But yeah, but I mean, weren't they hitting like... They're hitting individual
2: users. Yeah, like old, not young tech savvy users. They were just hitting
1: people that just casually get on their computer and... Yeah, well, basically anyone, but there wasn't, they really weren't differentiating between individuals and businesses back then it was just that shotgun approach and anybody that would click on the script or click on the malicious website and they were just trying to you know take 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 little chunks whereas now it it is much more sophisticated and much more high dollar ransoms
0: right so obviously you want you know people to to get the preventive measures you know before something happens but one of the things is after you've been attacked and after you've had it happen chances are let's say you pay the ransom you get your data back whatever there's still potential i mean you still have all this i feel like you're still at a much higher risk of it happening to you again probably from the same exact guys uh because they probably have some other way into your system um does I assume, like, if I came to you at that point, hey, we have our data, we have it back, we paid the ransom. Crypto Stopper would be something I should look at, like, to sort of help prevent this from moving for, you know, from happening again within six months.
1: Yeah, yeah. The thing is, though, <laughs> that people have to understand if they have an advanced persistent threat within right. their system, um, and an attacker is able to log in with admin privileges, they're gonna do damage. Right, whether whether they have CryptoStopper installed or not, um, we can we can limit that damage. But I mean, people have to clean their systems. Oh, and, oh yeah. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, I mean, that's you know we see some of the clients that we have now had multiple attacks where they recovered from backup, and that is very common where they recover from backup and then two weeks later they get hit
0: again. Right. Yes, they didn't go far enough back, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, and people—no, do- I'm kidding because that's the data.
0: I mean, right, there's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to. Right, I mean, you have to rebuild everything. Like the really only way to do it is to sort of start all over again. And even then, uh, like air gap network is like not a real thing. It's there's no such thing. Right. Well, and most
1: most small companies don't have the budget to have a good MDR or EDR solution in place, so they can track those advanced persistent threats and see if they cleaned it up or not.
2: Right.
1: I'm wondering if anybody's
2: kind of like working from the other side, right? Like somebody that's creating like a supercomputer that just decrypts all of these things.
0: I think we talked about about that. It's called quantum computing and it's just
2: years away. It's always five. years away. <laughs> It's it's always five years away. <laughs> well, maybe if the uh, the government encryption backdoor bill goes through, you know, like these crypto lockers will have the government backdoor, so that we can we can go in. Well, the government can because they're they right,
1: right. There there are several companies that do work on decryptors and release decryptors. Uh, we have a, I think we're at like twelve hundred and seventy different decryptors that we have we just have a listing of all the different ransomware variants and whether decryptors exist or
0: not Um, Um, but I feel like some of it in a lot of cases there's uh, because they're criminals and they can't be trusted it turns out your data just got shredded they they didn't they think it's encrypted but they actually can't decrypt it uh they'll take your money they'll be happy to give you take the money but not necessarily uh decrypt the data so i think it's also tough to right. sort of rely on that i think and if enough if we actually get to that point where decrypting it becomes an actual solution. I think the unintended consequences, it'll just be, you know, give us money or we're going to shred all of your data and, you know, we, or we've made a copy of an offline, you know, we've exfiltrated it and we'll be happy to sell it back to you. Um, But yeah, there's no decrypting it. It's just, yeah. 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 The amateur sends a malformed payload and it just, (laughs) Yep. Exactly. Right. I mean, right. Devs make mistakes all the time. It doesn't make it, you know, that less than greater than sign. It can, it can really make a difference.
1: Yeah. Well, in the, the decryption, it used to be that about 50% of the time when people would pay, they actually wouldn't get the data back because decryptor just didn't exist or didn't work. (laughs) Um, That percentage actually has gotten much better. And the, the, the cyber criminals have um, improved their customer support, and they, they'll they actually decrypt some files for you and show you, okay, we have an actual decryptor. It actually works. Um, now pay the $460,000 and right. we we'll give you...
0: Oh, wait, can I get a reference check? Can I, can I talk to one of your previous victims and make sure that I'm going to get my data? <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that you some of them actually, I've actually seen this where they not that it's a contract, but in the agreement they agree if if you pay the ransom whatever they're asking that they won't attack you again for twelve months. Like the criminals, like the criminals. Yeah, yeah. I promise. It's we promise. Right. We, won't, we
2: won't. It's I mean, so interesting the like parallels between this and like the drug industry. Right. It's like because you start getting a cleaner and better product because you want your customer to come back again and like all this <laughs> stuff. And so it's like your customer service starts to evolve and you get that customer experience manager in there that's you know, right. shepherding shepherding you
0: through the process, you know. I feel it's more like extortion. That sure is a nice business you got there. It'd be a shame <laughs> if something happened to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um yeah I mean I've really enjoyed talking to you I think it's been very enlightening for me um any final thoughts or anything you know parting words that you you know might want to Well I I think
1: yeah so I think that anyone out there listening to this I mean definitely need to take the threat of ransomware seriously and some things that I think that people need to do and you guys probably hear this from every every cybersecurity person that you have on patch management I mean it just drives me insane that companies don't patch their systems. And I would say even, you know, definitely want people to buy CryptoStopper, Stopper um, and it's a great add-on security layer,
0: but patch management has to get done. I mean, I think it's also um, patch management is great for yourself. I think the biggest threat, as we've seen in the news recently, is the supply chain. Right? It's making sure that the companies that you depend on are also doing the things that they need to do. Otherwise, you're just as vulnerable. Um, it's it's not really. It doesn't really help anything. We've we've built on top of each other, and um, now we have uh, shared security, uh, shared risk, um, and for sure. to everybody hey. to hold everybody else accountable.
1: Totally agree, and the the thing is though, you can't necessarily control that, and and hopefully that that is is limited to the nation state actors and not the run of the mill ransomware cyber attacker that's that's just buying it off the street. Um, yep, true.
2: Yeah, yep. I mean, especially with the way we get patches these days, there, I I would say there's almost like no excuse for the most part, like. Patching systems has been around for 30 years and it used to be you had to put a disk in a drive to patch. Now it's like you should have systems set up to be able to just patch automatically or at least run a command and it goes to the internet
1: and grabs the patch and it's like, okay, thanks. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and it used to be, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. right. I mean, we, as system admins would, wouldn't, I mean, you, you're stable, your system's stable. Don't, don't go installing a patch that's going to break it. So right. that's absolutely changed. And the systems out there to manage, um, manage patch management have changed and yeah, people just have to do it,
0: have to be diligent about it. Couldn't agree more. Cool. All right. Um, Yep, yep, So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as I said, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks. Absolutely. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having awesome. me. Cybrary, the
1: premier cybersecurity skill development platform, is empowering individuals and teams to secure the future of technology. See why 3 million people have already signed up when you visit www.cybrary.it.